0: Welcome to Financial Foresight. This podcast was made by four fee-only CFP professionals to help consumers understand the financial industry. Let's meet your hosts.
1: They're either naive, they're stupid, or they're lazy. You
2: know, the other thing is, is uh, my ceiling fan just went out in my kitchen today.
3: He is the commander in chief on this video right now. And uh, man, I am feeling controlled and empowered and safe.
0: Don't stop for Dwight's baby. We can edit that out. <laughs>
3: All of the podcast hosts are owners of RIAs registered in their respective home states. All commentary on this podcast represent the opinions of individuals and not their firms.
0: All commentary is financial education, not financial advice. So let's get started.
1: Welcome to the Financial Foresight Podcast. My name is Isaiah Douglas. We got the whole team together. So Ian, Dwight, Colin, um, with that, I want to kick it over to somebody to talk about our first topic, which I cannot remember because we just talked
0: about it and my mind went. Um, So our first topic is how to properly set goals and New Year's resolutions and specifically talking about why New Year's resolutions don't really work, even if you use the SMART goal Mentality, um, and and I thought that this was an interesting topic just because of the time of year, the fact that everybody makes New Year's resolutions and they and they don't usually work out. So I'm going to start off by talking about an article called "The Problem with Smart New Year's Goals" by Alice Free, Free Fleerackers, excuse me, um, which was published in Nautilus, and I found this via, of course, Michael Kitzis's Weekend Reading for Financial Planners. The uh, idea behind this goal is that her her um, her point in writing it is is basically that setting smart goals sounds like it's going to make them more achievable, but it actually just makes them easier to measure when you've failed, um, <laughs> because. Just because it's a new time frame doesn't actually mean that the long-term goal that you're setting is more achievable. We kind of have this mindset that, you know, it's new year, new me or whatever, but you're still the same person you were on December 31st. So ultimately what's more important, and James Clear talks about this in his book, Atomic Habits, is that you train yourself to have rituals and behaviors that will eventually accomplish your goal. Right. So if it's as simple as getting if your goal is getting in the gym more often, like a lot of people's is, um, then doing five pushups a day, which takes almost no energy, trains you to start working out every day. Right. Whereas if you say I'm going to get in the gym more often and then you go to the gym three times a week, but you start falling out of that habit, you're going to lose to the person who did five push push-ups a day. Um, because they'll eventually find that those five pushups are so easy, they'll do 10, they'll do 20, they'll do 30, they'll do 40, and they'll work up from there. Whereas if you don't make it into the gym, that's your whole goal, right? So that's kind of the idea behind it. Um, you guys have some thoughts?
3: It's like a behavioral finance, but behavioral goal setting. It's, uh, it's funny how just at the end of this year, I mean, really the only thing that changes is probably your taxes at start and stop at the December 31st period. But for some reason, we all just want to find some start and stop time. Uh, and, and of course, that seems to kind of roll over. It's a new year, new me, like you said. Um, one thing I always find interesting, and, and I think I read it from Tony Robbins was that, uh, that one of the best ways to accomplish your goals is to create habits. And it probably, uh, maybe does cross over with atomic habits. I haven't read that yet, but basically what the, the gist is, is that there, it takes a lot of discipline and this is probably why a lot of these resolutions fail, uh, is that, you know, in order to, you know, if you're trying to change your whole life, like I'm going to change my diet, I'm going to wake up early, so I'm changing my bedtime, I'm now going to the gym, I'm changing my routine, and all these different things takes a lot of discipline. You're going to be probably fine for the first week or two. And we've all seen what happens at the gym after the first month, it just clears right out. And that's just because you're going to find excuses, you're going to find things that get in the way. Um, and really what the point is, is that if you can create a habit of doing it, and this is kind of like what you said with the five pushups, then you're going to be able to maintain and do that for a long period of time. And I think what is important is if you can just try to find just maybe one thing that requires discipline, um, and you can do it for a month or two months, now all of a sudden it becomes a habit. Great. You don't need to use up all of your discipline on that topic anymore or that item, now you can go ahead and try changing a different thing. So whether you're trying to read more or work out more or whatever the case is, um, I would really encourage people just to do one thing at a time and just make sure that you can just pound it into your brain, pound it in and make it become a habit so that it no longer requires discipline because we only have so much.
2: Yeah, I think the other thing that I like see and I've struggled with personally myself is just having to have, you know, I guess the like the nth degree of everything of like, okay, Hey, I want to go, you know, run more. And so you're going to go run a marathon. So you're like, okay, I'm gonna go out the door and go run 20 miles. Like, well, that's not really realistic. And so, you know, I know Colin, you've run one yourself as well. And when you look at an actual training plan, it's like, okay, it's three days, three, four, five miles. And then it's just bigger ones on the weekend. And that Doing that over 18, 20 weeks is how you get there. And so I sometimes think about that as well, where it's like, it's not like you're just going to go to the gym, for example, and just start lifting a bunch of weights. You're going to feel awful the next day or, hey, I'm going to go 100% vegan tomorrow. So I just try to, you know, especially even with personal finance, like you said, Colin, is just start with something small and just get really good at that. Um, because you didn't get here overnight. So you're probably not going to solve whatever it is you're trying to solve overnight. And there probably is no such thing as perfection either. So just start.
1: Yeah, so I'm going to have a shameless plug. So the first blog post I ever wrote, it was June 7th of 18, was about how writing down goals makes you superhuman. And the quote that I had at the top I had to look it up. I didn't remember this quote, so I'm not that good. The thing about goals is that living with them is a lot more fu- or living without them is a lot more fun in the short run. It seems to me though, that people who get things done, who lead, who grow, who make an impact, those are people that have goals. And that's from Seth Godin. And the other really interesting thing, cause I just briefly revisited this article knowing we were going to talk about this. There was a study by Dr. Gail Matthews out in California that, you know, just simply writing your goals down, it leads to being more likely for them to happen. She cites 42%. How that comes up, I don't know for sure. But I think having accountability partners is really helpful too when you think about goals because most people, the reason they don't change is they really aren't ready to make that change. And if you have someone that's going to hold you accountable, text you at 5.30 saying, hey, where the hell are you? Like, get your butt to the gym. Likely you're still sleeping. But um, with that, having someone that's going to push you along can help get that habit formed. And then once the habit's formed, then you'll be good to go. Last thing, and you know, this is always coming for anyone that listens. I think the same thing can be said for investing because the S&P just had a killer kick-ass 2019. And it's like, okay, well, if you don't look at it in just one year segments and look at it over the long term, still great. But I think it's so funny how we as humans also cite like this calendar year, like 2019. Okay. Back it up to 18 months, back it up to 24, like do that as well. And it, it can tell a different story. So the same thing, you just have to be consistent. I agree. I think Atomic Habits by James Clear is a great book. Uh, it sounds like uh, Tony Robbins has some good work on that as well. But yeah, write them down and have some accountability would be the, the two pieces of advice that I would try to provide.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's important whenever you want to change a habit about yourself is to put the architecture in place for that habit to be easy to do right? Because no matter how much discipline you have in the moment where you're setting the goal and how much aspiration you have, it's it's going to become harder when you actually try to do the thing over a long period of time. So like one of the things that I always do whenever I actually want to change something about myself is I tell my wife I'm going to do it. <laughs> because not only will she hold me accountable to that, because she'll, she'll be like, did you make it to the gym this week, how many times? But she'll also... Um, She'll also, since she takes up a lot of my time, right, because she's somebody that I spend a lot of my time with, she'll be like, oh, well, you know, we're not doing anything right now. Do you want to go to the gym together? And that'll get me in the gym, right? So uh, telling the people closest to you has a kind of a a double effect. One is they'll actually ask you about it. And two is they'll make it easier for you to actually do these things because they're the people that you're spending your time with. They're the people you're investing your energy in and they want good things for you theoretically i talked about accountability so any goals
1: that anyone wanted to set or do better in 2020 since we can put it out there in the the universe run 3 marathons this year speaking
2: of
3: the nth degree yep it's spring <laughs> summer fall baby hey that's awesome dude we're going to hold you accountable
2: we'll <laughs> see that's also probably a recipe I- for getting injured so
3: I ran my first and last one at the same time.
2: You know, last year. my wife said the same thing. Never going to run a marathon. And then she ran one. And then she ran another. And now oh, she's boy. running Chicago. So just be careful.
3: <laughs> it is a little addicting.
0: <laughs> I already put this out there in the form of a of an article um, that got published on MarketWatch because somebody wrote to XY asking about... Uh, financial advisor's personal goals for 2020. And I want to buy my wife a new couch. Uh, <laughs> and that seems kind of silly. It's it's a silly goal to put out there. Uh, but the couch that she wants isn't cheap. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the brand Love Sack, uh, but she wants what they call a sectional, which is like $3,000. Um, and the cats are going to destroy it, but she wants it anyway. And basically she has had to go without having fun a lot because we started a business. So I would like to be able to earn enough extra money to give her that at the end of the year this year or by the end of the year this year. Just kind of a a personal goal to put out there. I don't usually base a lot of goals around consumer goods, but that's more for the emotion of being able to provide that than for the consumer good itself. Colin's going to learn how to surf in California. That's what I heard. I was,
3: Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, I'm definitely going to, I think surfing is probably the one that you can hold me accountable to. I am going to try to learn to surf. I have to just get over my fear of sharks. And once I do, then, uh, <laughs> then I'm getting yeah, out there, baby.
1: For me, when I think about it, it's just, I want to be able to read more, less Netflix, less Twitter, um, that's something that my wife and I have talked about cause there's so many good books and so much good knowledge. It's stuff that I want to try to read more. So that's one. And then my wife and I are both doing Duolingo lingo to try to learn a second language. Mine selfishly is I want to learn Italian. That way I can uh, read the headlines for AS Roma without having to <laughs> translate it all the time. So that's my way so I can follow my soccer team and maybe listen to a broadcast in Italian uh, by the end of the year, but we'll see. So She's a lot farther ahead already in the uh, new year on learning Spanish than I am on learning Italian. That's kind of a cool way to do it, though, right? With sports, like football,
2: because it's kind of this, you know, like it's the same words consistently, like ball, kick, all this stuff. So it's a really good and it's more conversational. It's a really good way to uh, get immersed
0: in another language.
1: Yeah,
2: we'll see. Check back with you next year.
0: All right. So why don't we move on to Tweet of the Week? Isaiah has one this week, so go ahead. Well,
1: it's no surprise. It's from Daniel Crosby. I have to start off 2020 the right way. <laughs> um, oh, boy. So he tweeted, um, so it's Emmanuel Kant or Conti. I never noticed it. Mm-hmm. Kant, it's, uh, Kant. So it it's Kant. it shows that.
0: He's a very famous figure within this. Yeah, the so
1: it figure. shows my, my depth of knowledge there. Anyways, so. Kant had an ideal dinner party formula which i want to share with everyone because we'd be wise to copy it which is what crosby's tweet says update on life discussion of important topics and then a period of hilarity he said invite me over let's go i think that's a a solid formula for any time you get together with friends update on life talk about important topics and have fun and laugh i think if you do that
0: it's a great time that's a very simple formula. Uh, I wonder how Immanuel Kant set up the structure for that to consistently happen at his dinner Alcohol. parties. Alcohol. There you go. Maybe. It starts. It starts grounded and serious, and then gets more and more hilarious the longer. Yeah, the night that goes second on. bottle. I mean, that's when that's when the magic happens. That's when the hilarity comes in.
3: <laughs> that is good. Um, I, I, one thing I do want to, I think kind of, uh, the first thing I thought of when you said that was I like the, uh, updates on life because you kind of do need to like really ask people or push people on that stuff. Cause it's pretty amazing how, if you're just, you know, even with like your best friend or even us, you know, we get on the podcast, do our thing and, uh, you know, talks about, talk about the business and then, you know, see you next week. We could be really missing a lot of huge life changes that just haven't really gotten brought up or whatever the case um, that's really important i feel like for just to kind of build friendships is just to take the time to say hey what's new in life you know close your mouth open your ears and uh, just kind of understand try to empathize I i like that a lot
0: agreed everybody's always carrying around a new piece of information about themselves and usually it's pretty interesting if you care about the person so Asking them what's new in your life, even if you saw them last week, is probably worthwhile. I mean, everyone's going to have all these New Year's resolutions to talk about, so there's at least that. (laughs) There you go. No joke. No joke. Everybody's going (laughs) to lose 20 pounds by beach season, right? Well. Here here in North Carolina, that's like a super common one that never works out. (laughs) We have really good fried food and the beach, and those two things don't go together. So... (laughs)
1: transitioning to our last topic, Dwight, you want to kick it off with some nerdy fun, also really important stuff around, uh, the secure act and explain kind of what that is.
2: Yeah. So that is a new piece of legislation that got pushed through towards the end of the year, towards the last part of December. And I think a lot of financial planners and tax people are still trying to get their arms around what's in it. Um, and things like that. So, I think if you're listening to this, it's you, probably, you may have heard about it on the news, you may have not heard anything about it. There's apparently some other things going on uh, right now as well uh, in the news. But, uh, you know, a lot of this, um, I guess, there's a couple of big points that are coming out of it. One of it has to do around um, retirement accounts and um, beneficiaries. Um, and so, we were kind of talking about this before. Um, we hit record on this was just, you know, how much is it going to matter, especially to our clients and to whom? Um, and uh, another big one was uh, or another big piece about it is just for small businesses and the idea that having multiple employer plans and just kind of how those are structured, with the idea being that it's going to allow smaller smaller businesses to possibly pool their resources together um so there's kind of some nitty-gritty things that go with that so that could be beneficial maybe maybe not uh and then i think probably the one that we were talking out about quite a bit was just the ability to have uh, annuities in 401ks and it's not exactly a new situation it's just more about liability for employers and just reducing some of that liability so the idea is that it may become more um, prevalent in uh, employer four hundred one k. So I don't know if any of you guys want to hit on any of those particular topics, or if there's anything else you want to add. But those are kind of the big three takeaways um, that came out of it.
3: I have a question for you. In the when they were first putting together the um, the ideas around this before it was passed, I was reading quite a bit into that. And what I one of the biggest pieces that I found interesting was the ability to pool yep. 401ks with different yep. businesses. So for example, you're, you know, Bob is a plumber, and Jim is a, uh, I don't know, a roofer, and they have nothing to do business-wise, and they both own small businesses, and instead of each of them paying $1,000 for TPA services and all this other stuff, they could just open one 401k and pool all of the assets and be able to make contributions uh, that way. Uh, did that did. actually pass? And do you know any other the details? Yeah, it that?
2: did pass. And so that's those are called multiple employer plans. And that piece did pass. And, those, and again, that's not something that was entirely new. It's just they're going to get a lot more, allegedly, probably a little bit more popular. The big thing was back before in these MEPs, multiple employer plans, was that there was a one bad Apple test. And so the issue was, let's say you have 50 plumbers around wherever, and they're all pooling their assets together and being under one plan. If there was one plumber that like broke the rules basically then you could end up having liability for the other 49. And so it wasn't a bad idea, it just, there was just too much, for a lot of people there was too much liability to take that on and so they just passed on it. Um, So there were some payroll companies for example that were running those to try to keep everybody compliant and things like that but um, now my understanding is that they're relaxing that rule so that way Uh, if, you know, again, four of us being financial advisors here, we all decide to start our own MEP and, you know, Isaiah goes out and does something wrong and blows the plan up. We're all, the three of us aren't going to be responsible. So, um, so we'll see. Yeah. It's, that's the idea is hopefully we can take some of the costs, uh, and spread them out over, uh, you know, more people or be able to get access to better investments. Although I guess, you know, We'll see if how well that works but that's the idea it's just trying to provide a little bit more accessibility to uh, for small businesses to retirement plans um because it's yeah (laughs) just picking on him um but (laughs) i wish i knew the statistics and maybe i could find something (laughs) but you know it's still small businesses are still you know um under or you know have fewer retirement plans that you know compared to big businesses and um, it's just another area of competition where, if you're an if you're an employee and you're looking to go get hired somewhere, um, a lot of these larger organizations are going to have, typically, a better suite of benefits. Um, and so, this is just a way to help, uh, you know, provide a little bit more help for small businesses
3: so they can better compete. Does that answer the
2: question, Colin?
3: Yeah, it does. I'm, I'll be curious to see the, kind of the execution of it, just because I actually opened a solo 401k just a couple weeks ago, kind of right at the 12th <laughs> hour of the year awesome. and, uh, you know, quickly maxed out uh, some deferrals there. And it's just really crazy that, you know, in a 401k, you can contribute 19500 And in an IRA, you can only contribute 6000 at least for 2019. And... If you're you know, a small business owner, like it's just such a disadvantage for savings. Like The, the difference there is just huge. And it, it just doesn't seem right that just because you're a small business and, and actually you're already getting dinged on the you know, self-employment tax and everything or, or payroll on both sides, that it, it shouldn't be so hard to open a 401k. Quite honestly, it was quite a pain in the butt to do. And uh, and they're going to be incurring, you know, TPA fees, and it's it just seems this 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 one kind of hits home for me. So I'm excited <laughs> to see how I might be able to actually implement that. For well,
2: clients. and a lot of small businesses are running their business. They're not HR professionals. They're not 401k professionals, right? So like, it's, exactly. It's, you know, if you're Google or Amazon, you've got teams of people that this is all they do all day. You know, so like it's it's just trying to help provide another avenue to say hey here's how you can get this done a little bit better so i think the secure again there's a lot of stuff with the secure act that i think is interesting um because i like that kind of stuff but i'm just kind of curious to know is this is how much of this is actually going to be truly implemented um you know there's a few other code sections that i like to pick on opportunity zones is one that really interesting not a lot of uptake on it so
0: we'll see how this one goes well, I, I think one of the one of the changes that got talked about a lot was the changes to uh, to the way that beneficiary, beneficiary IRAs are handled. And I don't really think that it's that big of a change, even though on Twitter I saw some people um, really overreacting to it maybe, which is they moved it so that if you're a named beneficiary but you're not the spouse of the person who passed away, so somebody other than your wife or husband passed away, you, um, you can't take, you basically can't stretch out the payments from the IRA for the rest of your life. Now you have to pay out the IRA over 10 years. And I actually think that this makes, you know, a little bit of sense. And, you know, it's just, stretch IRAs are a complicated account anyway. So you had to take RMDs regardless of your age. These these were set up to have a their own mathematical formula that would pay out over time. And as a result, you would have this weird IRA, but you might be forty and you have to take payments from it every year. And it just is kind of a cumbersome account to deal with from, from uh, you know, stress perspective. Although if you set it up with the right custodian, it kind of all happens automatically. Um, but but that being said, requiring it to be distributed over 10 years is still a really big w- way to defer the tax as opposed to taking all the IRA funds up front and uh, should be helpful while reducing the complexity of having these things stretch out over somebody's lifetime. I was just going to say it's a mixed bag on
1: the Secure Act and uh I know Dwight's done more reading and research on it than I have. I have multiple things open and are meaning to get to reading through all that. But one of the big things that that I took away, maybe it's just reaction from other people is just the amount of annuity business or um, kind of insurance products that will be entering in the 401k space more and more, which reminds me of what's done on the teacher side, which um, there's a lot of, not so savory things that go on there. And it just concerns me that if we already have a savings problem in the United States with people saving, they don't need more expensive vehicles to save into and you know have those expenses taken out of their retirement amount that they're putting in. So maybe not as broad for like the clients that we serve where we can help them navigate that, but I'm just talking like overall in the United States with people that just go in and say, yeah, sure, I'll contribute 6% to my 401k and don't ever look at it, don't understand it, and are just looking for the advice of the person that's there, I could see how it could get taken advantage of, and I hope that's not the case, but that's the the one concern that I have.
2: Well, I think there too, again, going back to what we were talking about, that a lot of small business, you know, small business owners aren't experts in this stuff, and if they're running their plan and their plan administrator or advisor says, hey, we should add this, you know, they might just sign off on it without giving it a whole lot of thought. And so again, you've got how many participants in there, um, like the owner may not be doing anything with it, um, but you know, now you got a bunch of participants that have access to that. And that could be a good or bad thing, right? So.
0: Well, it's been kind of proven that 401ks are all about defaults, right? So it's all about, like, a lot of people aren't doing research on what their 401k mm-hmm. is, to Isaiah's point. And and that, that's the part that always scares me whenever they make 401ks um, more able to be messed with. Like the standard formula, in my opinion, for a 401k should be cost efficient investments, automatic enrollment, automatic contributions. But the potential for this formula to be messed with just became greater is basically what happened. It doesn't mean it will or it won't. And your employer's 401k may be the same as it was over the last five years, but um but the potential for them to make changes to it with little liability is now
2: there. Good news though is automatic enrollment has increased, you know, from ten percent to fifteen percent. So that's uh as far as the rate. So it does allow employers to somewhat force employees to save more. Now, of course, the employee can always go in and override that. Um, so I've talked to some employers who are like, well, I don't love that automatic enrollment because I don't want to take somebody's choice away. But it's like, well, they can always go in and opt out. But. Um,
0: I also very rarely have ever heard anybody complain that they were automatically yeah. saving for their future. I like, there, I've, never, I've, I've never heard, I've heard had anyone had be it. like, Dang. I, I have, <laughs> and I'm
1: I'm not a huge fan of auto you enrollment, have. just because you don't know what's going on in those individual lives. Like there's a situation with mm-hmm. someone in a simple plan that I've worked with and they have huge health expenses and a spouse that can't work. And so they're scraping by. They do not need to save for retirement as unfortunate as that is. Like they have to pay That's for fair. what's there today. And I'd much rather them do that than, than try to, you know, contribute to the formal k or the simple and then rack up a bunch of credit card debt. So...
0: I, right, but you're you're talking about a system that you have to build yes. for the largest majority Agreed. of your employees Agreed. and you're you're helping more people than you're hurting. So I think it's important that automatic enrollment be there, but I also think that that should be something that the employer in an ideal world has a conversation about with the employee, which is like Look, unless you choose differently, we're going to set you up with a 3% contribution to our 401k, which will get matched 1%, and it's going to go into this fund. Um, So, if you want any of that to change, you need to tell me right now, and I'll make that change for you. No, I agree with that. Like, that that would be ideal, but the problem is, you know, you're talking about, in a lot of cases, people working for 1,000-plus employee companies that are never going to have that conversation with them, so
3: back to the secure act a fun one is the rmds went from 70 and a half to 72 so i don't know how many uh of you guys play in the uh uh in that space but i have three households that that uh are over 70 and a half which unfortunately are kind of grandfathered into the old plan but i do have one guy who one of my clients who is turning 70 Uh, like, or just did, like, it was in the first week of January, I think his birthday, oh, it was on the 3rd, actually, and he actually just snuck by, (laughs) so he was very excited to hear that he can kick that can a little bit further down the road.
0: I mean, ultimately, it's not that big of a change over the course of somebody's life, but it is nice for the U.S. government to recognize that our life expectancy has gone up, and therefore, There are a lot more people working into their 70s. There are a lot more people who don't need to access that money until later. The system is just different now. Totally.
2: Well, just one planning opportunity there too is, and again, this isn't gonna work for everybody, but if you're still working, because I've worked with some folks that are in the situation where they're over the 70 and a half or or 72 now, um, is to do a reverse rollover and take those monies that are sitting in an IRA or old 401k and reverse roll it into a current 401k And uh, as long as you're working and you're not an owner, um, and again, talk with tax professional, et cetera, but like you can basically delay any of RMDs out of there. And so if you're working and, you know, legit working and you don't need the income, um, then that's a good tactic and it it does work. So uh, obviously everybody's situation's gonna be different, but um, it does, it is kind of nice. There is ways to kind of get around it.
3: Yep, that is a great planning tactic. Um, you do need to be very conscious, though, of if you are an owner or any of yes. the family members, because I actually kind of looked into that and tried to uh, get smart. But uh, you're you're not the first person, to right? Think about, yeah, right? that's how I always feel. Whenever, whenever I'm like, wait a minute, well, what if your son owned the company because you sold it to him and yeah. you still worked there as a consultant and. Yep, no, Related party
2: attribution right. rules are one of those, like, yes, they're a uh, pretty big gotcha for a lot of people. And some of it like sort of makes sense, at least to me when I think about it, but for a lot of people, it's kind of like, that
0: doesn't make any sense, like, why should it matter? And it's like, well, uh, them's the rules. Yeah, well, they just don't want you transferring ownership around to avoid tax rules. <laughs> I mean, well, that's right. the actual- Well, and if your son owns it, you have it. a lot yeah. more control and that's the issue. Like you, you,
2: they're, they're basically arguing that you have mm-hmm. de facto control when, they're, when you go up a gener, up generations and down generations. It may not necessarily be true, but, again, like that's is more often than not, and that's why those rules are in place.
0: Mm. All right. Well, now might be a pretty good time to wrap up. We have a pretty thorough discussion here, guys. Um, any closing thoughts on the SECURE Act or goal setting or this hilarious dinner party that we're all going to go to?
3: I'm just looking forward to dinner. (laughs)
2: dinner. Say like on the goal setting, I think, you know, thinking about your why can be really helpful. I didn't really talk about that before, but if your idea is to go out and go to the gym more, really talk, you know, really understand like why it is you want to do that and what you're, you know, that might help you get to what you're trying to do. So,
3: yep. And if you write your goals down and tell someone that you are going to accomplish this this year. Isaiah guaranteed you 42% higher <laughs> results, so send him all of the mail if you fail. Yeah, all the hate mail to Isaiah. I'll uh,
1: I'll read through it all. I will reply promptly to uh, all the hate mail. 2020
3: is off the folks. Let's go. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, guys. We will catch you next time.
1: Thanks so much for listening. We hope we were able to make you laugh and allow you to learn something. For all inquiries and questions, please email financialforesight at gmail.com. If you're on Twitter, feel free to give us a follow and ask a question there as well. Remember the podcast is for general information and entertainment purposes only, and you should not consider what we've talked about investment or tax advice. Please consult your professional team before implementing anything we talked about. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and maybe leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you and thank you so much for listening. We'll be talking again soon.